1: you
2: Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show. It's time for our World Cup semi final preview show. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host once again today. And I've got two very special guests joining me. First up, got the athletics Michael Bailey to talk about Argentina versus Croatia. And then after that, in part two, got Tifo Football's John McKenzie talking about Morocco facing off against France. But Without further ado, let's get into this and let's get Michael on here. So on to the first semi-final that we're previewing today. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined once more by Michael Bailey of The Athletic on this show. Michael, welcome back to The Athletic Soccer Show. It's a real pleasure to have you back. Well, thank you for having me back. That's a bonus. So I'll take it. Yes, it's great to be here. i'm really excited uh, to talk to you about this one i'm really excited about this game full stop to be honest i think there's so much left in this tournament obviously we've seen thrills and spills throughout it and there was going to be narratives whatever happened but throwing up Luka Modric against Lionel Messi once again in a World Cup especially after what happened in 2018 where Croatia absolutely rampaged through Argentina in the group stages and a lot of that chat around then I remember was that whole LM10 doesn't stand for Leo Messi 10 anymore it stands for Luka Modric 10. Uh, they cross swords again at a far sharper point in the competition at this time round it's interesting because Croatia don't have, they are not the same team as they were four years ago, but there's a lot of the core that remains and a lot of the values that took them through that tournament still very much present within this Croatia team. Whereas Argentina feel reinvigorated from that 2018 edition. They feel like a completely separate unit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The big changes for Argentina. I mean, the thing that sticks in my mind for them is. In some ways, maybe losing um, their opening game to Saudi Arabia was 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 uh, was a blessing in a way because it, it, now that they qualified, it wouldn't have been obvious if they'd gone out. But you know, it just it just sort of shed their unbeaten run at a time where it didn't really cause them too much damage. Because the fact is, they have been in wonderful form. They won the Copa America, I think, it was their first tournament since '93. So they they came in with that sort of burden lifted, but also in really good form and and that experience of having won a major tournament. So that put them in quite a, a dangerous place to any of their rivals going into this world cup they are renewed but yet they've also got you know someone like leonard messi who is i i think just desperate to write the final the final chapter in a way that sort of missing link and obviously him and him and modric will know each other very well from from, from spain and, and their time and sort of operating then in, in la liga um and then croatia croatia the interesting thing for me for croatia is that up until the uh, the quarterfinals against Brazil they looked like a team that were you know sort of just trying to stretch out uh, what they could do as best they could for as long as possible and just hang in there I actually thought against Brazil they were they were outstanding because of how well they moved the ball they they controlled the game and they really posed some significant problems to Brazil and and that was that was you know a sign of what Croatia have been at their very best so it does it just it just puts this game in on, into such an interesting position going into it because Argentina will come in with with so much excitement as to what they can still achieve. And I think Croatia are still proving they're just one of the best sides in the world at, at what they do. And they maybe can have that last hurrah without it looking like a tired team that's maybe just gone a little bit um, on longer than it should have done, even though they've got a few
2: good young players coming through themselves yeah i think that's a really interesting point because i think there was a sense with some of the teams that we saw in the group stages you know belgium in particular but wales as well i think stand out in this regard that there was just a few players for it which it was one tournament too far Uh, and and those players had maybe held those nations not back that's unfair on and, and would be a disrespect to the players that had taken them to this point but just felt like there was just not enough in the tank to get out of it and we're talking about Belgium like this, but probably Lukaku had a slew of chances in that last group game that would have knocked Croatia out of this tournament. And here they are now beating Brazil on penalties. And I think it's really interesting what you said in that they felt like they kind of inched into the tournament. They've just sort of ground through what they need to. And then suddenly they exploded into life. Whereas Argentina obviously started with that huge setback. And from then, I think they've grown game by game. And and every single performance, I think, has offered something new or a new dynamic to what argentina have brought to the world cup and so when you're trying to analyze this it's quite difficult in many ways because i'm pretty sure i know what argentina are going to bring to the party although if angel de maria comes back in now and they change that shape again does that alter how are they going to play i'm not 100 sure but i think argentina are going to stick with what we've seen in the last couple of games with that five at the back that worked so well against the dutch but i don't know what croatia we're going to see because They'll be completely and utterly fearless now having knocked the number one seeds out. Yeah, I mean what
0: Croatia do they're just so awkward, as I said, and, and they 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 don't they don't win many, <laughs> as we've seen, but they just they're so hard to they're so hard to beat. That's the thing. And so um you, you kind of you know they're their tactical nuances with it, but with, with Croatia, they're just very good at finding a, a way to hang in there. Um, with with Argentina. It was against Saudi Arabia. I thought they were so passive, and it just felt like it. I think they just thought they would be fine, and then five five minutes into the second half, they weren't, and they didn't really know what to do about it. Uh, and obviously, it was ex- exceptional momentum around that entire game, anyway. But their their coherence in how they're playing, I thought they they still struggled with that against Mexico, but then it just started to to, to calm. And, and certainly in the knockout stages, they've looked much more. Uh, able to to sort of pick out what they're trying to do the best ways of, of using Messi and I guess that's kind of rediscovering what had got them some success sort of over the rest of the year previous to that so um, yeah I, I, it's it going to be I they, they, they did make an alteration obviously against against the Dutch and they may well then be able to just not worry about a back three and revert to how they were playing um, uh, before that when it comes to Croatia because I don't, it will again, be interesting if Croatia do anything particularly different or whether they stick to their shape and manage to adapt it on the pitch, which again is, is something I think they've, they've managed to do over, over games and, and just that add that into that character that they show as a, as a team.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, lots of chat has been said about this Croatia midfield and, and rightly so, it remains one of the best in the world. I don't think there's many many nations who would sniff at a Brozovic, Kovacic, Modric midfield in any way. And that's been the kind of real cohesive point of, of Croatia. I mean, obviously, Lovren and Gvardiol have been excellent at the back together as well, but you know, that's the point that everybody looks to with Croatia and goes, this is the strength, that midfield three. And as you said, in that Brazil game, the way that they kept the ball and the way that they pushed up towards the end and then got that midfield moving. And there's lots of depth in that midfield as well. You know, Lovar and Maya coming off the bench, all of these different elements. Argentina have chopped and changed their midfield. Obviously, they started the tournament thinking about probably Paredes at the base, maybe Guido Rodriguez. Giovanni La being absent has really thrown their original midfield three out of Kilter. And what we've seen is the emergence obviously of Enzo Fernandez of Benfica um, and and also Alexis McAllister of Brighton alongside Rodrigo napal And they found a really nice coherence and consistency between the three of them as well, I think. And actually, this is the real part of interest of this game for me because it's this kind of young, vibrant midfield three for Argentina and De Paul had a really bad couple of games to begin this tournament and has slowly got himself going. Enzo came in and was kind of like a miracle straight away. And then Alexis has got himself going in that kind of Lo role. I'm really intrigued how this matches up kind of man for man with how Croatia are going to set up.
0: They're, I think they're a great example of a, of a team um for a tournament growing into it because you've seen them sort of progress and get better and better with each game and just uh, they're obviously training with each other they all know each other really well but just that in-game understanding and trust almost from playing those minutes that's where the momentum really comes from a side developing i did think and i did hear it as well i tactically i see argentina um probably being a bit more grown up than Brazil were because I just felt there were things Brazil did against Croatia where they didn't really disrupt Croatia's midfield as, as they possibly could have done. I mean, you could br- bring on Bruno Guimaraes to to do something to disrupt things um, to, as that game was wearing on that, that Brazil didn't really, they didn't choose to do that. And I, I feel like Argentina will, um, will, will make those changes if, if they need to um, because, because you do have to do something to stop that midfield three of Croatia they are they, they they are iconic I mean in terms of what they do and how they can control a game you they can make life incredibly difficult for you and you know lots of teams have tried to disrupt it and it's obviously not very easy to do because Croatia have had great success but I, I do feel like Argentina have, have the basis of with with some of those real energetic players in midfield I, I love Enzo Fernandes I think he's it's a, it's a brilliant player and I just think that he that's sort a of you know, it could be a real statement game for him if he if he's among those who can just disrupt what someone like Modric and and Brozovic are, are trying to do in terms of of driving the game. That's essentially probably where it will be won and lost because. Uh, Argentina's best moments are still probably likely to come from central areas because they're going to want to have Messi involved and we already know De going to basically follow him around and protect him so it's going to be a fascinating midfield midfield battle if, if I was playing I'd probably want to be staying well out of it and just try and pick up pieces on the wing but yeah it'll be, it'll be a great watch that element I think for me
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's it's going to be really intriguing. I mean, the other kind of big battle, I suppose, is not necessarily between players on the pitch or or in positional senses, but actually kind of the emotional battle here, because this feels like two very distinct emotional narratives. And there's a brilliant article on The Athletic by Oliver Kay about Messi and Argentina's heightened emotions and whether that is actually a major strength or it could be a major weakness. But I mean, the way that I've kind of pitted it is Argentina have, this overriding emotional sense flying with them, like a sense of narrative purpose pushed onwards by the wings of fate towards this kind of final World Cup for Lionel Messi. And in stark contrast, I think Croatia feel like they are in absolute emotional control. They have this self-belief, they've been there before, and they know that the longer they take a game onwards, the more that teams are going to get frustrated against them and you know we saw it on the bench in the Brazil game the Brazil bench going absolutely mad the Croatia bench very calm in control and Zach Dalic has, has talked about this that they have this kind of ice nerve about this team they don't know when they're beaten but equally they're quite logical with it until the very end of games which Argentina we saw kind of lose towards the end of that Dutch game and that for me that kind of mix of narratives the the kind of passion against or fire against ice if you will in in so many ways is one of those things that makes this one stand out
0: i think it's uh i feel a bit so (laughs) i do feel a bit sorry for argentina i think it's finally been lost that they're these bad losers where they really had just been wound up completely by the Dutch, especially around the penalty shootout and you know, I think anyone who's competitive—if someone's doing that to you—you're probably going to just sort of go, eh, "If you win, aren't you?" Because it's quite funny at that point. Absolutely. So um, that obviously played into their reaction. Uh, uh, it's a, such a fine balancing act because, in fairness to Argentina, um, they—they were—they were really emotionally controlled during the game. Um, generally, I know uh, you know they're going to try and you know mix it up and you know. Hit, Punting the ball into the dugout is is quite a lively thing to do, <laughs> and there is that. Obviously, I don't know, but but in general, I, I you know it was it was just it was just a rough, proper competitive game. It was yeah. incredible to watch, and it, you know it, it meant as much to Holland and to the Netherlands as it did to Argentina in that game because it was just the sense of that occasion. But Argentina didn't lose their focus to the point where they weren't functioning. You know, they no. they did, I think, or they did they could have done, you know. The dutch's comeback was remarkable clearly um but uh, I, I thought they did have enough emotional control in that game well, obviously very different level to when it'll be coming up against uh croatia in that regard and the thing that sticks out for me from them is the reason they've had that success in those two other knockout games is they just have this sheer belief that at the end of it they will win i mean it's to you talk about Penalty shootouts and, and the fine margins that revolve around them. I mean, it doesn't half help if you just have this unshakable uh, belief that you're going to you're going to be fine. But also the opposition looking across, going, oh, "These guys are really good at this." You know, that is that can make a, a difference as well. So, um, you know, it, it, it probably does play. Uh, it's probably a, a decent thing that Argentina have come through a penalty shootout themselves. You know, there wasn't don't necessarily be um, that to it because they'll both know what it's like to to deal with that. Um, but I would like to see someone win it over the course of, you know, the actual football. I must admit, because um, I think that would uh, that would um, that would be just a great thing to see. Whoever manages
2: to pull that off, yeah, I think it would make for a better spectacle as well. Although the tantalizing prospect of watching DiBu Martinez and uh, Dominic Levakovic playing in a penalty shootout, two of the Preeminent penalty stop specialist in the world would be it would be quite something, I think. So maybe we'll have that to look forward to. But I think we can all agree that it's going to be a game to look forward to. And, and with that, we're going to park the first semi-final. That's left for me to do is say thank you so much to Michael Bailey for joining me.
0: Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me again.
2: Welcome back to part two of the Athletic Soccer Show's semi-final preview. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined once again by TIFO Football's John McKenzie. John, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure.
3: Yeah, it's great having the opportunity to chat with you, Jack. I always enjoy it. Absolutely. absolutely. And we're going to
2: talk about France versus Morocco. Now, I don't think this is a semi-final that anyone was really predicting, apart from, to his credit, Samuel Eto'o. Who legitimately had this in his bracket. Now, there were lots of other more questionable calls on Samueletto's bracket, but he's absolutely nailed this one. So credit where it's due. But it looks like it's going to be a fascinating encounter, John. Obviously, the story, the fairy tale here is Morocco. The fact that they are the first African sides to reach the semi finals of a World Cup. The fact that they have conceded only one goal in this tournament. No opposition player has scored against them. How do you think they're going to approach the semi final?
3: Yeah, I think the big question that we've all been asking about Morocco as the tournament has progressed is how sustainable an approach do they have? Uh, obviously, their their tactical setup is really interesting. They play with this, a, a low block, we'll call it, but with the ability to expand out of that low block quite quickly and dangerously, um, which means that they're very good at, at, at defending against some of these elite sides. They're also very dangerous on the break as well. And for me, when I watch them play, the big thing that really... Um, stands out to me is their ability to then shift between these two phases, right? Because obviously we've talked about expanding out of your low block, but you have to fall back into that low block as well without giving up any chances as well. And that's where I think Morocco are, are, are so good. Um, the big question, I suppose, when it comes to France is that, you know, they are a team who, regardless of of the, the tactical strengths that they have, have Kylian Mbappe, who is one of the best players in the world and one of the best players in the world at transitional attacking so this probably is going to pose morocco with their their sternest test yet and in those sorts of respects i think some of the teams that they played against so far have maybe maybe been a little bit slow trying to get back um in their half or to try and hit them in behind um but mbappe is is always looking to do that and with with France um, having him on the left-hand side, they know that they can hit those, that channel uh, and he can cause havoc even even very, very quickly. So really fascinating um, uh, uh, slate, I think, this one.
2: Yeah, and obviously he's coming up against his great friend and, and teammate at club level, Akraf who has already tweeted to say, see you soon <laughs> to Kylian Amafe, which I did enjoy straight after that quarterfinal, wasted absolutely no time with chucking that one onto Twitter. Um, but this is kind of something that I, I kind of vaguely wanted to talk to you about, because... I think what we've seen in this World Cup is people using different shapes and and, and different funneling systems to put teams into places where they want to be. And Morocco have been really, really good at this, against Spain and against Portugal. I thought that they blocked the centre out really nicely and sort of challenged both sides to go down the flanks. They went, okay, right, use your flanks if you want, because we're happy with you out there. They did that against Portugal because Portugal didn't use traditional wingers till later on in the game. Uh, And against Spain, we know that they want to play those intricate manoeuvres within the centre of the pitch they can't really do that against France because Mbappe and Dembele have been France's major threat, obviously, in transition. But also, when either of them get the ball, they have that ability to just beat a fullback and suddenly they're in behind. Do you think Morocco would change their approach in that regard?
3: Yeah, I don't think they will. Um, And uh, the pressing system that you've talked about is is really interesting. As you said, there's a lot of teams who are, are kind of happy to let uh, opposition, oppositions build up in wide areas, but they'll throw an extra player in there to just give a little bit more coverage. Um, and Morocco are doing that. So they're in their lower block, rather than having their wide players push up onto the opposition fullbacks, when they have the ball, what we're seeing is their number eights pushing up as well. So essentially just allowing the weakness to be in this, in the center of the field where they have Sofian Amrabat, who is a really smart positional defender, um, and then they'll drop both of their their wide players, so Bafana and Ziesch, both dropping in to just help out with the fullbacks, giving that extra level of coverage there. I think they'll probably still still do this because um, the the pressing system that we saw England use was fairly successful. I thought against Kylian Mbappe in particular, um, and in in that system, the, um, the, the the way that England did it was just by keeping Kyle Walker deeper, allowing John Stones the ability to to. Uh, push across as well, but also um, making sure that the Bakayasaka was dropping in as well. Um, I think that Morocco will will continue to do that because I think that they will be aware that if they allow the the centre to become uh, open a, a little bit more, then France can can punish you. And you know, this is almost the the lesson that we learned from the England France game. Right? Was that England did the job of of keeping Kylian Mbappe quiet, but France have other players elsewhere on the pitch who can who can hurt you in in, in the form of Players like Griezmann and and uh, Olivier Giroud. So, yeah, I think they'll. I think they'll continue to do what they've done because they do it so well. I think they'll continue to do what they've done because they know that. But with a few tweaks here and there, they can keep killing Mbappe quiet. And I think they'll continue to do what they've done because they are aware of the fact that France are, are a many pronged, dangerous attack rather than just killing Mbappe.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested because I think obviously France are still the best team on paper still in this tournament. I think most people would agree. And they've remained relatively unruffled, even with the scare that England gave them. And you know, I think England were probably the better side in, in that second half of the final and they were causing problems. And France are almost kind of content to let teams have a go at them because they know that they can come up with those moments of magic. I saw someone on Twitter and I do apologize because I can't remember the life of me who had tweeted it. Say that they remind them a little bit of the Real Madrid sides. In the champions league because they have that belief in their own ability to make those moments of magic happen and obviously you know they they have mbappe they have dembele they have griezmann they have Giroud, and when you get a delivery like that from Antoine griezmann for france's second goal out of almost nothing this was as a corner it gets recycled and he just looks up and it's a dead eye delivery there's almost nothing you can do against it and and i do wonder if that kind of calm nature of the way that they they're so confident within themselves is the perfect antidote to the kind of fairy tale story of an underdog here who they know that the entire world will be backing on against them.
3: Yeah, I I, I think that's I think that's true. I think when it comes to the the England game, what was interesting was that France almost play the way that a lot of England critics say that England play, right? Which is by um being happy to absorb pressure to take your moments when they come to rely on the talent that you have um when 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 you ha- when 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 those moments arise and i, I think when it came down to it you know, England were the more um adventurous of the of the two two sides um i do think that it was a lot closer than maybe a lot of people are saying because i think those two penalties sort of exaggerate the the sort of danger that england were posing but they were definitely the team who were posing the 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 more dangerous options and i think the the question then is like how does that um, transmute into this next game. Like, does yeah. that suit Morocco? Will they be happy for, for for France to be to to be relying on those moments and just focus on making sure that those moments are not dangerous when they arrive? And everyone's been talking about Morocco's defensive credentials, and they they have been excellent. I believe they've only conceded a goal from from the boot of their own player in this tournament. Um, if you look at the the um, the game against Portugal, Portugal had seventy two percent possession in that game uh, and yet when you look at the chances that they generated if you work out the average expected goals value for each of those chances it was around 0.06, uh, 0.06 0.07 um, and you would expect a team like portugal to be putting chances up like 0.1 0.12 so about half as dangerous those chances as you would expect so they're clearly doing something right uh, in that in that respect um and I, I think that's what they 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 should focus on because I think that f- that France are going to be um, probably um, forced to play in in a different way in this game. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I I think that give France the ball, absorb the pressure, and then try and hit them in those moments. And that's how it, it happened against Portugal. But the big worry, I think, is going to be. And the, the the Morocco team just feels quite raggedy now. It feels as though they're yeah. playing a really high intensity form of football, right? They're playing a low block, but it's a very aggressive low block. They press out with their eights. Um, they they have their their wide players dropping in and helping out. Um, that means every time they're going forward, they're having to cover a huge amount of distance um, and it's absolutely exhausting. I think there's a very, diff- the big difference between the first half and the second half in those two game in in that last game uh, because I think in the first half, Morocco looked completely assured and in control and in the second, they came out and there were, there were gaps, was, there was open spaces. Now, Portugal didn't, punish them for that um, and again you can argue that, that that's down to the the ability that, that Morocco have to defend but uh, at the same time you feel as though this is another step it's another game on you've got players who you're you're still concerned about their fitness and um, you've got players out with with um, suspensions etc the, the big question is like what toll is the the extent to which they've gone through this tournament now going to have on them
2: yeah, agreed. It's one of those where the defensive line feels a little bit like the walking wounded, doesn't it? You know, can Saez play? Can Agar play? Can Mazraoui play? It feels like it could be a makeshift back line that lights up out there. That you know could be the third and fourth choice centre backs coming in as a pairing for the first time. sitting so, you know, as a starting pair, we could we could see you know three of the original four who started this tournament not in the lineup in the semi final, and, and very much not through choice. And that I think that is a, a worry and one. France will probably look to to exploit but I do think it's it's going to be a really really interesting contest and you know the way that Morocco set up I mean if you don't concede goals it's almost impossible to lose knockout games and Morocco don't concede goals so so there is that kind of element of of things and the longer that this drags on the more frustrated France will get Um, but it does feel like it might just be a step too far for Morocco at this point and yet maybe people were saying that the last time they played and against Spain
3: yeah, and look, this is a very good France team, I think. It's almost I'm almost willing to say this is the the, the best France team that I've ever seen from a tactical point of view. Um so it's gonna be really tricky to keep to keep France quiet. But the the way that they are set up, I think, is very much um that, that sort of solid, conservative, defensive approach, right? They have Mbappe in the team, but they have all of these little systems in place to make sure that Mbappe, it, the, the you know the the issues that Mbappe is going to pose for your team out of possession are going to be mitigated by the structure of them. So they they rather than Mbappe having to drop in in defensive moments, it's Griezmann who drops in, and that sort of allows the midfield to shift across. Rabio covers the the, the left hand side of the pitch where Mbappe normally would be. Um, those are all great when you're playing against elite sides but when you're coming up against a side like morocco you know you're not having to think about the same kinds of issues it's not this is not about worrying about oppositions being able to Build possession through a weakened area of your side. This is about uh, opposition being able to absorb pressure, cause you problems, and then hit you in moments really quickly with very dangerous wide players and 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 a really dangerous number nine, a classic number nine. And and it's worked so far in this tournament. So there's no. I've spent the whole <laughs> tournament going, you know, you know, Morocco, great story, but I can't see it continuing after the next game. But they keep going. They keep. They keep. Um, pushing on, and that's that's tournament football. Like variance does come into it, and uh, I think that the way that Morocco is set up, they're really set up to exploit that variance, right? They they don't concede a huge amount of chances, and the chances that they are creating are very good, and that's just perfect for for tournament football.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and, and kind of to close it off, and and on that note, it does feel that you think that Hakim Ziyech will have watch that game and watch Bukayo Saka torment Teo Hernandez at times. Uh, and Sofiane Bufal would have watched the other side and, and seen that Jules Kunde, not a natural right-back, can be got at as well. Now, I didn't see there wasn't much of that down England's left-hand side in the last game, but we've seen that across the course of the tournament. Those two players will be looking at that and thinking, we are the main opportunity creators here. These are the options where we can take it. And that kind of suits them to a point, considering that's where a lot of these overloads have come from.
3: Yeah, I think that the the game plan for Morocco has to be try and draw France out because I think I've I've seen a few tactical cam uh, footages of the England game back and both England and France were just very, very conservative in terms of pushing defensive players forward. The big thing is going to be if Morocco do cede a lot of possession to France, how they push those players into more advanced positions and then leave the space in behind to be attacked. We know that Teo Hernandez is a a very aggressive fullback, Um, so I would expect to see him being the player who pushes forward and then the rest of the back four shifting into a three, but that does leave spaces in the wide areas to be exploited. And I think this is what it's going to come down to from Rocco. Can they weather the storm of, of the French attack? And if they can do that, is there then spaces in the wider areas? Are they able to draw that defense out and 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 make the most of it so yeah i think it's going to be a really fascinating battle
2: yeah agreed. and uh we know that they will have a capacity crowd behind them uh willing them on all the way as well which may well have something to say in the outcome of this game john thank you so much for joining us again here on the
3: athletics show it's always such a pleasure yeah it's great coming on thanks very much Well,
2: that's pretty much all we've got time for here on The Athletic Soccer Show. Those are your two World Cup semi-finals previewed. Thank you so much to my two guests, to Michael Bailey and to John McKenzie for their wonderful insight. I've been Jack Collins and we will see you ahead of the final. Take it easy.